episode contains descriptions of war violence and one instance of a quote with strong language. Francis Marion was a South Carolinian born and bred. His grandfather was a Huguenot, or Protestant, forced to leave France when he refused to convert to Catholicism. Marion is often forgotten when Revolutionary War heroes are discussed, but it's extremely unlikely that we would have won the war without him. When we talk about the war, we often focus on the Northeast. It turned out that this is where the British put their focus, too. While America, north of Boston, was ready and willing to fight the British, the South was largely loyalist. Because of this, the British strategy was to rule over the South and to sweep those loyalist soldiers north to squash the rebels. Now, I know a lot of my listeners are from abroad, and I also know how insanely poorly the American media does at depicting your average everyday American. So even though you didn't ask for it, I'm going to give you the scoop. If you ask an American for help, most of us are basically personable and will go to the ends of the earth to help you. However, if you force or command us to do something against our will, there's no force in heaven or hell that will get us out of your way. Literally, dragging your heels does not even begin to cover it. We are now an insurmountable barrier between you and your goal. Unfortunately, the Brits found this out the hard way when they tried to force their will over the sassy South. The South was mostly loyal to the Empire. In fact, they didn't take the British siege of Charleston seriously at all. This led one gentleman to hold a massive party on the eve of battle. At this party, there was one guest who wasn't among the revelers. You guessed it. Francis Marion sat to the side, sipping his mix of vinegar rather than alcohol and water. Oh, that's gross. I've drank this because it's before it's supposed to be good for you. I'd rather just not be healthy. It's terrible. <laughs> vinegar water is awful. I mean, I don't really like vinegar at all, so that does kind of throw off my basis for comparison. My husband would probably like it, but gross vinegar water and he was stewing in the knowledge of what real battle and loss were like. Marion had been hardened by the French and Indian War and knew better than his light-hearted party companions what was headed their way. He also had a better idea of what to do. He watched their carefree party over his glass and when he had had enough he tried to leave, dreading the conflict looming over them. But his host had locked all of the guests inside. Was this the Mask of the Red Death, for goodness sake? And he refused to let Marion free. Not one to be foiled so easily, he exited through a second-story window, but the fall broke his ankle. Marion left the city to recover, and when he did, the British stormed Charleston. Many important military leaders were taken in this battle, and were it not for that broken ankle, Francis Marion would have been among them. The British feared that the South Carolinians would resist them in response to this loss. They sent the esteemed General Cornwallis to help keep things under control in the South and to take the fight to the North to General Washington. Cornwallis declared that anyone caught resisting the Crown was to be killed and all of their property was to be destroyed. Cornwallis's chief enforcer was a man named Bannister Tarleton. In The Patriot, a character was based on him called Tavington, and he's played by Jason Isaacs, who is terrifying in the role. Together, Tavington and Cornwallis took advantage of the support of local Tories, who took out a lot of their hostilities they had against their neighbors under the protection of the crown. They went door-to-door looking for rebels and destroying all that they loved. 
turning the war in the South both violent and personal. The escalation inspired Gabriel Marion to join the militia, and his uncle Francis Marion joined to protect him. Historians theorize that if the British had been less aggressive in their attempt to keep the South in check, they likely would have been successful, but as they burned churches to the ground, destroying property, and allowed the violent activity of the Tories, the formerly patriotic British citizens of the South turned into ardent rebels. They pushed back, and in order to do so, when they had the disadvantage when it came to manpower and weapons, they had to use tactics they learned from the Cherokee in the French and Indian War. Francis Marion was a master of these guerrilla tactics, and he brought them to the table in order to protect his nephew, neighbors, and homeland. Marion's biggest obstacle in bringing these tactics to to the military didn't have anything to do with the British, but rather the most well-known guerrilla warrior of the day, Ethan Allen. Today we tend to think of Marion as a wild, savage, brutal man, but the fact of the matter is that he was actually a very quiet, reserved, thoughtful man. He valued rational thought over wild emotion, even, and perhaps especially, when it was difficult. The reason we have this misperception of Marion is because of the rowdy, raucous, glory-seeking behavior of Ethan Allen. Because Allen preferred guerrilla warfare, it came to be associated with his less-than-acceptable behavior and values, which led Francis Marion being rejected by the American army because he proposed making use of the tactics used by someone they saw as a savage, brash, dishonorable person. General Gates, who declined Marion and his men's service, later tried to take Fort Camden in South Carolina. The untrained Americans caught sight of the British cannons and immediately fled, including Gates himself, who fled over 60 miles from the battle on horseback. How embarrassing! When the British took these men hostage, including Gates, it was Francis Marion, whom they had turned away, that came to the rescue. Marion and his men encircled the fort at night, remaining inside the tree line. From there, the men called out to each other, referring to many different infantries and divisions in order to make themselves seem like a much larger party. By the time they began to fire shots, the British were already terrified and they quickly surrendered, thinking that they were surrounded by hundreds. This clever but risky tactic impressed even George Washington himself. Washington sent General Nathaniel Green, who was less prone to write off non-traditional forms of combat, and Marion made it his mission to cut off British supply lines with hit-and-run guerrilla warfare. This would delay their climb to take on Washington's troops. As Marion's militia began to have real success, Cornwallis grew frustrated and did the unthinkable. He let Tarleton off the leash. Tarleton was famous for his war crimes and brutality. It was the fear of him and the anger at his actions that drew many to the Patriot cause. Tarleton saw it as his personal mission to catch Francis Marion at any cost. For any information on the militia leader, he would harm men, women, and children. One of his favorite tactics was to exhume his victims' loved ones and interrogate them while forcing them to look upon the remains. He would make mothers submit to questioning while his men threatened and violated their children, and vice versa. His men were under order to take whatever and whoever they pleased from the southern families, after which their homes, churches, and lives would be burned to the ground whether they complied with the interrogation or not. No act was too dark or too low for him to achieve his end as his obsession with Marion grew. Whenever he would commit these acts of brutality, Marion would target the perpetrators with another supply raid. 
This not only rallied the South to his cause, but also forced the men in his militia to face the very men who had done them harm. He made them submit these men to trial and imprisonment to show that he would not stoop down to the level of Tarleton and his men. This only served to highlight who the real barbarians were in this battle for freedom. More importantly, whether the British won or lost, Marion knew that the rebels and the Tories would eventually need to live side by side again, and as such, he sought to fight with as much honor as was possible at the time. Soon this resolve would be put to the ultimate test as the British pursued Marion 26 miles into the South Carolina swamps. Tarleton eventually gave up the chase, channeling his the British hobby of fox hunting, he cried out in frustration, as for this damned old fox, the devil himself could not catch him. Thus earning Marion the nickname that would follow him through history, Francis Marion, the Swamp Fox. Unfortunately, the escape did not go so well for Marion's precious nephew, Gabriel. Marion had no children of his own and loved his nephew as his own son. Gabriel Marion was captured, and when his captors learned his last name and who his uncle was, he was shot. While Marion was heartbroken over the loss of his nephew, when the man who had shot Gabriel was captured by the militia, he insisted that the man get his day in court, holding himself to the same standard as his men, no matter his personal pain. Many of the men bristled at Marion's integrity. With their homes and families being torn apart, they were righteously angry and seeking to strike out in vengeance. Others simply needed to tend to their own homes and farms. Men in the militia had to fight with their own weapons and ammunition, and they were not paid. So at one point or another, it stands to reason that they would need to take care of things at home sometimes. The men were free to come and go as they pleased, and Gabriel's death, along with Marion's refusal to execute the perpetrator, was a bridge too far for many who returned home. Fortunately, Marion received aid from the regular, sorry, the regular military in the form of General Green and Henry Lee. Together, the men set their sights on the British supply post of Fort Watson, Carolina. The fort sat atop a hill and was built with impenetrable walls. Together, the men waited until nightfall and built a wooden, cabin-like tower taller than the fort's wall so that the militiamen could shoot downward into the fort. When the sun rose, they were able to pick off soldiers from the high ground. Obi-Wan Kenobi would be proud. Taking over this fort cut a massive post along the British supply line, leaving Cornwallis stranded further and further from his supplies, forcing him to alter his route. Green was also canny enough to use Marion's Swamp Fox reputation to draw men to the Battle of Utah Springs. Now, I've been to Utah, South Carolina, and it is such a tiny town. And believe me, I know tiny towns. I grew up in a town with only one traffic light, and when I got married, I moved to a town in the upper peninsula of Michigan that had one gas station and about half of a grocery store. This town would probably give that second town a run for its money, though I did buy a t-shirt in the gun shop in Utah Springs because the golden doodle on the shirt looked almost exactly like one of my dogs, and I thought it was funny. There's a historical marker in town that explains the ins and outs of this battle. While Marion was present, this battle depended less on guerrilla warfare and much more on traditional battle. This fight changed the tide of the revolution and pushed Cornwallis both north and towards the sea. This stranded him between Washington and the French Navy who had finally arrived to help thanks to Ben Franklin. With no route for retreat, the British began to lose the south from this point forward.
Francis Marion is considered the founding father of the U.S. Rangers, who still use his tactics to this day. They strive to embody his values of intelligence, mental toughness, personal courage, discipline, and motivation. He got married after the war, and he and his wife adopted a son. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It was a pleasure to have you. Next weekend is the weekend of Easter Sunday, and I will be out of state in order to spend some time with my brother, and I already have a few tours booked immediately after, so there will be no story next week, but I have an episode the Friday after that where I plan to cover several monsters all at once to make up for it. Please enjoy your Easter, enjoy your family, stay safe, and have a beautiful week. Thanks again for tuning in.